We must have a talk about the MacGuffin. You say, well, what is a MacGuffin? You say, well, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. Men say, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. He said, then that's no MacGuffin. <laughs> uh, thank you for clearing that up for us. everybody welcome back to the brick pit it's the podcast that you didn't know that you didn't need i am your host jason and with me is adam he who walked two steps behind he who walks behind the rose <laughs> and josh the great myth lord i would go as far as nope, saying he's great maybe okay the okayest <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still in the myth lord apprenticeship program okay yeah He's a journeyman. Uh, yeah, I'm an I'm a unpaid intern. <laughs> All right. And as always, the Brick Pit is recorded in front of an imaginary studio audience. <laughs> For imaginary listeners. <laughs> All right. Today's topic, uh, we're going to talk about one of those things. It's not just in film and television, but it, it goes back in literature and even uh, mythology. And that is the MacGuffin. Uh, the MacGuffin is, of course, a more modern uh, term uh, coined by an Scottish screenwriter, Angus McPhail, but popularized by one of our favorites, Alfred Hitchcock. Now, what the MacGuffin is, is, is simply a device uh, or a plot device. It could be an actual item or just uh, something that happens that is there to propel the story forward, to motivate the characters. And according to Hitchcock, it doesn't really matter what it is. And you can kind of see that in examples of like uh, North by Northwest. The MacGuffin is a uh, microfilm with state secrets that are supposed to be sold, but it's not important. You don't even find out about that until later on in the movie. And Hitchcock said it can be anything. It could be diamonds or whatever. It, in many ways, it's the it's the engine that drives the plot. Yes, and uh, there's a, a great story that uh, Hitchcock used to uh, kind of give an example of, of his philosophy of the MacGuffin. Uh, he gave it in to uh, Columbia uh, School in 1939 and also in an interview with French uh, New Wave filmmaker and film critic, uh, Francois Trousseau. Uh, and the story of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> But the story is, uh, the way he describes it is, it might be a Scottish name taken from a story about two men on a train. One man says, what's that package up there in the baggage rack? The other man answers, oh, that's a MacGuffin. The first one asks, what's a MacGuffin? Well, the other man says, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The first man says, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. And the other one answers, well, then that's no MacGuffin. <laughs> so you see that a MacGuffin is actually nothing at all. <laughs> that wit that Hitchcock has, that's that's his version of it. George Lucas, though, came out and said that the audience should care about the MacGuffin as much as the characters in it. And of course, his famous MacGuffin is 
Well, he claims it's R2-D2. I would say it's the Death Star plans. Well, well yeah, I think you're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. Um, but I, I would agree. I would, down to the nitty gritty, the Death Star plans are the MacGuffin as encased in r 2 Yeah, and I think a lot of it, it, it filmmakers and, and I guess just any kind of creative person tend to get in a, um, they get real myopic. Yeah, and singular because, headspace. Right, because there's there's room for both. And there are stories that you can tell where the MacGuffin doesn't matter, and there are stories you can tell where it does. It's it's a it's a it's a guiding philosophy, I guess. Uh and, and it's probably helpful in creating something to adhere to one of those more strictly than the other, just just to help <clears throat> your process of creation. You have to have a philosophy of MacGuffin to MacGuffin. <laughs> it, it has to inform how you create. Right. It, it's MacGuffins all the way down. <laughs> you know, the other side of that coin, though, I guess, is if it, if so, they can't, you're right. They can both be right. But also, if the MacGuffin is stupid, if it, if it, if you feel like as the, as the viewer that the Tesseract or the whatever is so inconsequential or you don't understand it or it doesn't, it's not fully explained enough in the plot that you care about it, but you also don't care whether the heroes get it or not. It becomes this this thing that kind of break pits the movie, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I a think bad I MacGuffin th- can ruin the film, right? I, I, <laughs> I think you failed as a, at a storyteller at that point. Yes, and I think it's less honestly. I think it's less important just from my perspective whether the audience or not cares about the MacGuffin as long as the people in the story. If the people in the story are flippant about the MacGuffin, then then I think there's a problem. Yes, it, I agree with Josh. If the audience, if the audience is bricked pit by the MacGuffin, then that's just that's just bad work on the fact uh, on the part of the the screenwriter and the director and everything like that. That is the foundation is not set on the movie as a whole. You know, the MacGuffin is just that's more of a symptom than it is the ailment. That's fair. Yeah. So it, yeah. So I mean, essentially, it's the seed of it's the seed from which the story blooms and in people's relation to MacGuffin. Because I guess you could have a situation where there are characters that don't care about the MacGuffin, but that but, and that's actual that that's intrinsic to the story you're trying to tell. Yeah, and, and the MacGuffin that Hitchcock generally used uh, in some of those films, like I said, North by Northwest. The protagonist doesn't care about the MacGuffin. It's the mm-hmm. villain that cares about the MacGuffin. It's the it's the villain constantly trying to to get it or to uh, prevent other people from getting it or whatever. It's it's more of a motivation for the villain in uh, in Hitchcock's worldview. Uh, once again, throwing it on to to George Lucas, though you look at the Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. The MacGuffins of those movies are sought by both the villains and the hero. And true to his Act- word, those though they are very important to the plot. Yes. Um, they essentially are the centerpiece of the plot. Every Indiana Jones is a is a search. It's for the MacGuffin. It's yeah. a quest for the MacGuffin. And, and also, and it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's in it and it's and it's in a very it's a very quest structure like this is this is the object of desire these are the parties that want to get it and it's kind of it's almost they're all races 
to get to who's going to get to the MacGuffin first. And I, just just I like it's, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a comparison I didn't expect. But yeah, so it's also the example of one of the best MacGuffins, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And one of the worst MacGuffins, the Crystal Skull. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, well, know. yeah. And, and and while we're on the topic of Lucas, I know he didn't. You know, he this is after he he sold too many MacGuffins, ruined the stew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't want to harp on this because it's like if if you would like to hear criticism of the new Star Wars movie, go to your local internet. <laughs> 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 You'll be greeted by by yeah. fans who will love to tell you why they did not like those films. But the, the Rise of Skywalker was like a MacGuffin bonanza. They had the, the knife. The Force Awakens. They yeah. had they had the uh, the Wayfinder. They had, it was like <laughs> it was like just MacGuffins everywhere. It was too MacGuffin. bad they didn't have any plot in that. Movie. Right, and that oh. was like they were just like going from MacGuffin to MacGuffin, and then the movie ended. <laughs> well, you know, in that same vein, The Force Awakens, the ultimate, I guess the MacGuffin is, is where's Luke Skywalker? It, yeah, but, it's it's once again, it's uh, copying uh, A New Hope. You know, it's not Death Star plans. It's the right. map to Luke Skywalker. But it's inconsequential. I mean, ultimately, yeah. and that and that's that's actually, a, I'm too, too raise my point, it actually can ruin, not ruin, but make the film less enjoyable because you feel like at the end of the film, you're like, well... Uh, the MacGuffin didn't really matter. <laughs> like ultimately, it was like it was supposed to be BB-8's map, and somehow he's left all these clues and well, whatever. Th- there's two ways it can go down. Like that's that's the bad way, but like the Maltese Falcon, the MacGuffin ultimately didn't matter because can I go spoilers for the <laughs> we, we, we <laughs> for the seventy plus Mal- year yes. old movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Maltese Falcon is worthless. It's right. it's so ultimately the MacGuffin. Doesn't matter, but at but, the same time, I, I, I do want to say that in that movie, it, it's not that it's worthless. It's the one that they have is not the Maltese Falcon because they continue on. They uh, the villains leave in pursuit of see, the Maltese my, Falcon again. My interpretation always was that that there was no Maltese Falcon because of Bogart and the you know it's what dreams are made of. Yeah, it's um well, it, it's it's essentially it's kind of like the Holy Grail and. Arthurian legend like it's this great thing that they're questioning on but they never find it mm-hmm. like it's it's the MacGuffin that starts them off it's not important because they never even discovered it's, it. it it's very it's very much an anti-grail <laughs> yeah yeah and, and on the Maltese Falcon again it's you don't even find out about what it is until mm-hmm. like halfway through the movie and then there's this big info dump to tell you why it's important for the villains and it's it's just really there as a reason, once again, to motivate the villains, but also to give you an understanding of how all these things that seem random are actually interconnected. Right. And 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 done well. I mean, Maltese yes. Falcon is stands well, you know, MacGuffins are are pretty um in the foreground in 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 noir type films. So, but like the, the Maltese Falcon is like it's almost textbook. Uh, it's it's yeah. It's tangible and and the, the beauty of it being revealed at the end to be worthless after all this stuff has happened is uh it's such a gut punch. But going back to uh to Indiana Jones, because I know I know Adam really, really wants to to dive well, into 
Well, I, first of all, I mean, I've, I, again, it's one of, I think the, the first three movies anyway, are some of the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, best you talking you talk about that fan film that those kids made? Yeah, that's, that's, not, that that's, not yeah. <laughs> that's not a fourth. That's not a film. There, there is no, there is no uh, fourth Indiana Jones film. It, as Be, far as being an adult <laughs> is being able to ignore things you don't like. <laughs> and just, well, what like the COVID virus. I got good news for you, Josh. Uh, there, there'll be a fifth uh, thing that you can pretend you don't like, know about. Coming like, out you soon. know, like parking tickets, uh, alimony <laughs> payments. These Boxes. things, you just don't you just <laughs> pretend they don't exist. I, I just want to say that, like, growing up, everyone was always just crapping on Temple of Doom. Oh, it's terrible. It's the worst Indiana Jones movie. It's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it technically is the worst Indiana Jones movie, but at that point, it's like saying, you know, that that second million dollars I made, that, that wasn't as good as the first or the third Look, million dollars. Our, you still our, have a million dollars at the end of it. Our number <laughs> one fan, Mr. Kevin, told me after he saw The Crystal Skull, he said that movie was so bad, it made Temple of Doom on the same level as the other two Indiana Jones films. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, that is quite as apt because no one will ever say ever again that Temple of Doom worst. was terrible. That's right. Yeah. They're like, Maybe that's like, why they made it. Maybe that's why. <laughs> uh, it, it's one of those things. It's like you're only saying it's bad because you haven't seen a bad Indiana Jones movie. Right. Right. And then when you did, <laughs> right. you reevaluated. Yeah. I really like Indiana Jones, um, the, the Holy Grail, because. First of all, I think it's it's probably the, my favorite. The, the Last movies. Crusade? The Last Crusade, yeah, yeah. You're, you're thinking of Monty Python. There, yeah, sorry. Indiana Python and the Holy Grail. Indiana Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail. The the Sean Connery's, the bit about, it's, you know, my son would never bring it back here with the, with the, you know, that's, the <laughs> that's every, you know, I've seen that movie, I don't know, dozens of times, and every time I laugh. Like <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> It's it's a one of those just perfect, yeah, films like um, Connery and Harrison play just exceptionally well off each other. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting? It's not like it's not like it's genre defining or mm-hmm. or like groundbreaking, but it it just it's it, well made. It does Very everything. Well it does everything that it needs to do. There's nothing extraneous. The script is tight. The action's good it's just solid throughout. And it's, so it's almost like, it's kind of like the princess bride and that it's one of these films. that's just like, you know, on, on a, on a technical level, princess bride is nothing exciting, but it does everything correctly. And is, it's almost like, you know, Mac and cheese. It's like comfort food. Yeah. It's, that's um, a great, yeah. You know, you, know, you know what you're getting. It's, it's not disappointing. You know, no kids going to be like, ah, well, it's sorry, it's not it's not the else, yeah. it's not the off brand. It's the craft mac and cheese <laughs> with the orange powder. <laughs> it it set it hits. It's one of the it's one of the uh, if uh, depending on on how people listen to these podcasts, it's it's another film that made Adams five posters. So I have five. I have five posters of films, and and this is one that made the cut. We're gonna um, do we're gonna do a five poster episode where you can tell us <laughs> about your five posters, and then and then I'll talk about my 
three posters that are all episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see. Uh, I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> Some of them the, aren't uh, even that great episodes. <laughs> so there's a couple of great MacGuffins in that. The first is, of course, the journal, which occupies a huge space of time. And in his dad's journal, where he kept notes about the Grail and how to find it and the whole search. But ultimately, of course, the great, the greatest part of it is the Grail itself, and looking for that. And in my mind's eye, it's probably you know, if anybody, if anybody wanted to do like their film dissertation on MacGuffins, you know, this would definitely come up as part of it. And maybe they'd agree with me, but I really think it's one of the best story-driven MacGuffin type script. The MacGuffin matters. The characters care about it, and because of the way the movie ends has huge, you know, it becomes very consequential at the end of the film that they had to get it and Indy had to succeed. And then right. it didn't, and then he didn't get to keep it. Well, right? Which but is the, the it, and, and what makes it better than like, then I would say like rise of Skywalker almost follows the same beats because it's that, it's that follow MacGuffin to MacGuffin. It's like, we got the journal. Mm -hmm. We got to go, we got to go get the, the rubbing of the, of the right the shield. We got to go, you know, it's, so it's, it's this kind of travel log through scavenger hunt for MacGuffin after MacGuffin to get to the ultimate MacGuffin. But ultimately that's not what the movie is about. The movie is about an estranged father and son. Right. And how and how they as adults come to, I guess you know I would say like not just a, a balance you know yeah um, an understanding of it yeah yeah it's so it's you know, just like we talked about we talked about ET several weeks ago about it's it's about a boy and a dog just in a fantastical element like the heart of. Last Crusade is is a father and son thing, and I think that, that resonates with with me personally, you know. And it's so the MacGuffin is important to the plot, but that's ultimately not what it's about. You know, it, it is, and that is great because um, the ultimate MacGuffin is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> the the line where uh, where Sean Connery says, you know, you. You, you left just when you were becoming interesting. That was, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, to, you know, that, yeah, I, you know, I, that's a great. Tell what you I tell your kids all the time. Every, every, every day, day they go to school. Every day. <laughs> no. it, it's something I think we all kind of, if you have children or if, you know, if you have a relationship with your parents. If you way, are a child. If you are a someone. child. If you've ever been a child. <laughs> Now, you know, as you get older, you have your relationship with your folks changes, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's I think that's something that everybody can kind of understand. But it is that relationship. It, it's just it just hits all the right notes for me. I guess right. It's well, the, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you know, Indy essentially becomes a version of his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, much more the the action adventure version instead of the the studious sitting down in a library right. reading well, books. Well, I think version. yeah, he and. He, and like I said, that's that's a big part of their their conflict is they're so much alike, right? And he and and that's and that's very true to life. That, right. You know, he <laughs> he accepts the things in himself that are similar to his dad, and he understands why he was. It's it's that that crossing through the penumbra into uh, adulthood, or you know, even parenting that like you see things from the other side of the coin. And I think it also shows like uh, 
we've known since the first movie that his his real name is is Henry, but you know he calls Indiana, and that's mm-hmm. what all of his fans or his friends and everything calls him. <laughs> and it's 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 <laughs> that character making his own identity separate mm-hmm. from his father because his father is also named right, uh, and that bit at the end where he's reaching for the grail after he's already seen like the woman he was trying to save die reaching for it. And he goes after it as well. And, you know, his father played with Sean Connery calls him Indiana. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that snaps him back because that's his father recognizing so, him as his own person. What What's funny too, is like uh, the last time I watched the last crusade, I, I was struck by this. There's, there's the opening sequence with, uh, with river Phoenix as as the young Indiana Jones, and it does all the things that we have chastised the prequels for doing. Yeah. But, but for some reason, it works. It, because yes. he gets the scar on his cheek, he gets he becomes yep. afraid of snakes. He gets the whip in the hat, and like yep. like everything happened in the in the span of an afternoon. Yep. And and it's still I and I you love it. Right. Give me it, more. I will eat that all day long. <laughs> it is like they do it in solo, and we're like, that's garbage. Yeah, yeah. Crap. Look at this nonsense. <laughs> so it's it's service. one of those things. It's it's <laughs> it's the magic of Spielberg, and I don't think a lot of people recognize it mm-hmm. enough. Is that he he is so proficient in the language of film mm-hmm. that he can take those things that just grate us when other people do it and do it fantastic. Well, and, and you just, never it never approaches your mind like in Jurassic Park when they're being pushed over on this embankment that literally did not exist exactly. until that very moment because well this will make a great scene <laughs> yeah <You know? laughs> like it builds the tension and you're not you're not oh no that wasn't there before you're like holy crap <laughs> well in in that beginning bit too there's 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 actually some like really good character moments where like the young Indiana Jones says can't find anyone he goes everybody's lost but me that's that's, and yes that's just that is such that is such a loaded like and succinct like if you'd never seen any other indiana jones film you see that one snippet and it's like okay i know who this guy is right everybody's lost but him all the time (laughs) (laughs) so yeah spielberg is like in a lot of ways, he was. It's like he was almost too good, because <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, because it's like Jason said that he has this 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 ability to to pull things off so seamlessly and so like he makes mainstream. Like so, it's you can be like, well, this is kind of derivative, and it's like, well, it's not because he's the guy kind of leading the charge, but not in an overt way, in a very like. He's like the mass appeal auteur, I guess. I don't know. It, it also <laughs> helps, well, it also helps that Spielberg is notorious about caring about the details, getting every detail as as, and and also I guess what we now call Easter eggs, but that's kind of a new. But you know, for example, in the Last Crusade, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Last Crusade, all the people who try to kill Indy wear uh, flowers on hmm. their lapels. And that, and so he even hints at that when he gives um, Elsa the flower on the dock there, like that. That's a deliberate detail that was written in, hmm. and and it's it's you know it's a, it 
only on repeated viewings would you notice that. <laughs> but all the people who try to kill Indy wear, you know, flowers in their lapels. You know, that e- Easter eggs used to be called Esther eggs in reference <laughs> to an Esther from uh, Sanford and Son. I don't know if you, that's in my book, uh, Untrue Facts About Hollywood Revealed, <laughs> Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> It's on Amazon. Yeah, looking for that's going to be a MacGuffin of its own. <laughs> <laughs> the lost manuscript. <laughs> so uh, sometimes dead's better. <laughs> now uh, we've, you know, we've already talked about Maltese Falcon, uh, mm-hmm. but Josh, you've you've also got a another noir film. Yes, and it's it's not the best noir film, but it is it to me has the most interesting premise. I feel like it, it pushed a lot of boundaries. That's DOA, stands for Dead on Arrival. So the film opens up, and it, it's a kind of in media res, like where this guy comes into this uh, to the police station, and he says, "I'd like to report a murder." And they say, "Well, who was murdered?" And he says, "I was." And the uh, so the the story is a flashback to him, and it, it's, I mean, it's it's great that it's a story of a man solving his own murder but the MacGuffin in that film is one that is ultimately not only is it inconsequential it's almost an anti-MacGuffin there's a the the Soviets had stolen some iradium to make nuclear bombs or something like that and um, so they're following the trail of this iradium because all these people are ending up dying but in the end it's really these people knew too much about an affair which is why they're being killed so this guy is investigating something <laughs> that has nothing to do with why he was killed he was killed because he he knew about an affair that they didn't want to get out he was a loose end so like the macguffin at the end kind of very similar to the maltese falcon is not it propels the plot but like the the revelation at the end is is really interesting it's a fascinating film so the MacGuffin's a red herring. Yeah. yeah. Just like communism. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, Adam, you've, you've got another one on your list that is a, uh, a MacGuffin that really is kind of inconsequential to the uh, story. Yeah. Uh, but so- uh, and it's, it's from Josh's favorite director. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Quentin, so, next time Quentin and I have drinks, he's going to like get mad at me for us. <laughs> so there's a couple of things about the Pulp Fiction that really. Uh, it's the Pulp Fiction now, Grandpa. The Pulp Fiction. <laughs> which you can find on the Facebook. The, uh, you don't want to get those generic Pulp Fictions without the V in front of it. It's the. I want General the, Mills, the Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Mom, this is not name brand. <laughs> uh, we have Pulp Fiction at home. <laughs> you the, never finish uh, it. <laughs> the briefcase, or I guess more importantly, what's in the briefcase is is never revealed. It's it becomes the thing that everyone chases in the in sort of the classic MacGuffin, but it's not. I would quit. I, so the reason that I wanted to bring this up is because I think a lot of people think of this as a really great example of MacGuffin, but I don't think it drives the plot of this movie the way a MacGuffin typically is expected to do based on sort of the classic 
uh, Hitchcockian definition, right? I, uh, yeah, I don't. And I want to talk I about would, that. If I, would, I don't know if I would even call it a MacGuffin. I'm just glad that you didn't go down the clickbait article rabbit hole. Of, you know, is uh, Marcellus Wallace's soul in there? It's like, shut up! It's not. That <laughs> <laughs> drives me. He's got the bandaid on the back it's, of his neck. That's where they took. Because you know, in ancient times, that's where they thought the devil took your soul. That's like you were just making stuff up. <laughs> the twenty watt bulb. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah, it, I don't. It was literally put there because Quentin Tarantino wanted there to be something to signify that it was important and it's you know, that's, almost in a magical realism realm more than it than the actual you know i would it, sort of compare it to kind of uh rosebud i think it's in that same sort of matters but doesn't really matter like in citizen king you know it it informs you some of the motivations for some of the characters in the film but it doesn't necessarily matter and it and i think that's exemplified by the fact that we don't ever find out what's in it and it doesn't even if we knew what was in it it doesn't really matter it, you know, who cares it's something important but not really right it's literally a placeholder it's yeah, literally um, a placeholder and I, I i would argue that that in the last third of the film maybe samuel L. jackson's wallet is the MacGuffin. <laughs> 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 i'm gonna need you to dig around in that bag <laughs> i need i need that mcguffin which mcguffin is it <laughs> it's the bad mother mcguffin on it that's right. <laughs> bad mother yeah. MacGuffin. i think that's gonna be my new phrase <laughs> It's it, it's because of the way that that pulp fiction is kind of broken up, and it's actually all these separate different stories, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, that, it's, that it's very much the Hitchcockian version of it because it's like in the in the opening segment with Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. That's that's the reason for them going to this apartment, mm-hmm. and that's really the only time that is necessary until you get to the, of course the the end again when the people are trying to steal it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the robbery of the diner it, it's not important to the bruce willis story you know it's it's just this little thing in these segments just to give the characters motivation to act the way they do you know what the greatest MacGuffin in that film was the gimp i, I was gonna say the <laughs> the watch five years i kept that MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things in all the world i told her like <laughs> I don't. I don't know, man. If you've ever had that experience where you've been, where somebody showed up that had a watch that was <laughs> smuggled well, in their no. ham wallet, <laughs> where where you had a thing that you asked specifically for someone not to forget, and then that's the one thing they forgot. <laughs> You're very frustrated about it. <laughs> I'll give an example: the honey mustard sauce at the drive-through at McDonald's. <laughs> almost, I wanted one almost, thing. <laughs> almost on the same level as that watch. <laughs> if you take life way too seriously if you get that upset over over the honey mussy um when my mom brought those chicken nuggets in and there was no, I asked slap one, them slap them thing. out of her hand <laughs> all right with that i think uh to quote alfred hitchcock uh it's now for us to have a word from our sponsors. All right, now we're back. So uh, continuing on in our grand discussion of the MacGuffin, uh, I now want to kind of shift toward, since we've talked about MacGuffins that really don't matter, uh, 
to MacGuffins that do. I want to bring up probably one of the, at least in, in modern cinema, one of the most important ones. And of course, it goes back to the uh, stories that it comes from is the One Ring and the Lord of the Ring trilogy. I've uh, never seen this movie. Can you describe it for me? I very seriously doubt that. It's a, just, just from looking at you, if I didn't know you, if I looked at you, it's like that dude's seen Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's seen the Peter Jackson cuts three, several times. Three of the five posters are the Lord of the Rings movies, right? <laughs> you look like a dwarf from Lord of the Rings. You, you look like Peter Jackson. <laughs> Oh man, we were beating up on <laughs> Adam comes back and he just gets beat up. He's gonna have to go go back on assignment. That's right. <laughs> assignment is what you call going in the closet to cry. <laughs> well, listen to his Smith's albums. No one will more, understand the Morrissey Bond. <laughs> the more they ignore me, the closer I get. All right. So yeah, Lord of the Rings, the, the ring. Yeah, the um, one ring. It's uh of course like the main thing that the villain wants because he for some reason put all of his power in it because don't that's smart don't idea. be don't be flippant about <laughs> Lord of the Rings. There, I there, knew that it would get that reaction. There, there are there are lines. We don't <laughs> if we're to have a civilized society, we don't talk, we don't make fun of Lord of the Rings. We don't make fun of Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> you don't you don't spit in the wind. You don't chug <laughs> on Superman's cake. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dims is the rule. <laughs> so uh, you know, in our, our younger ways, listeners are just thoroughly confused now. They've turned off a long time ago. Yeah, right? yeah. As soon as we our younger Morsi, listeners, that was that. <laughs> our younger oh. listeners are also, of course, are in the age group of 30 to 40. <laughs> <laughs> our youngest listener he is 38 years old <laughs> um not only does the ring matter but it, it is I, I would i think it's a fantastic example jason i'm glad you brought it up because it's it's kind of probably in modern film anyway the thing most people would who are not film buffs would be able to identify kind of off the top of their head as mm-hmm. a great MacGuffin because it, it feels it matters to the heroes, it matters to the audience, it matters to the villain, it drives the whole story for all three movies, and it works. It 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 makes sense, it has a logical flow to it. Of course, there I don't think there's been any kind of, of fantasy film that has been scrutinized and picked apart as thoroughly as Lord of the Rings by by people who love it and by people who hate it. But even that being the case, it's it is in that pinnacle of culture because of the Ultimately, because of the, the working MacGuffin in the film. Okay, this you're not one of those Tom Bombadil guys that are <laughs> mad that he wasn't in the film. Well, I mean, they... Okay, I mean, no, we're stopping. <laughs> <that. laughs> now, now that you mention it... Well, listen. <laughs> I'm, more, that, I'm more upset over Glorfindel being glossed over, <laughs> if you want to get down to it. I mean, he was one of the people that Fingolfalin... <laughs> Am I a book purist? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, yes, sure, sure. I'll, I would concede that. And I mean, but if I was going to pick one thing, I think Battle of the Shire not being in the films is probably my my one. Just kind of diverge a little bit. I think that would have been a really cool thing to have in the film, and they had a. It's not like they didn't have time. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'll agree with you. If we didn't have like 
15 fade to blacks at the end. Yeah. They could have put that. And that is one of those things I think it should have had because it is kind of important to the, to the story. Yeah. Well, and, and what, what was, what was, was aggravating is they, they like totally teased it in the first film when yeah. she, he looks at the mirror Galadriel. Cause I was like, what? Ooh, yeah. it's the scorching of the Shire. And like, nope, yeah. not even going to film it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is, pr- yeah, I actually, that now that you say it, now that I remember, I remember having that feeling when I saw it in the theater. You, you know why? You know why they didn't? Because they wanted to keep the Shire sets for tourism. That and so, I plan on uh, going there and burning them down <laughs> myself. Yes, <laughs> and say, "Yeah, I am Worm Tongue. <laughs> I'm Sharky," <laughs> and being stabbed in the back by somebody in my group. <laughs> But I think the the thing about the one ring is it is always present in the story and it is always affecting the story uh, because it's not just the thing that the villains are looking for. But, you know, you wear it, you turn invisible, but it also attracts the villains to you. You know, one of the course, the, the famous scenes from the first movie is when they're hiding off the side of the road underneath the tree and everything of the, the outcropping. And the the wraiths are on horses above. They're looking for them. And Frodo is having to fight from putting the ring on. Mm-hmm. Falls to him, as they say. Yeah. Yes. And, well, because, and it, it also corrupts characters as well. Yes. It so, Gollum so constantly all, trying to get it back. Yeah. All joking aside, or maybe this is more of the joke. Uh, you know, <laughs> you asked about Tom Bombadil in the book. He puts it on. It doesn't affect him at all. And when Frodo puts it on in front of him, he can still see Frodo. And I think that would have been an interesting aspect to have his character, but I also think it would be confusing for viewers. If you go to it, well, yeah, and it's the same thing. Uh, The movies made a lot of changes, and some one of the ones that that I initially had a visceral bad reaction to was was a treatment of Faramir because in the yeah. books Faramir is not tempted by the rings and in the the interviews and the the all the eight million hours of extras that I have I have watched multiple times um which is why I haven't had time to watch the Irishman <laughs> is um that's a callback folks yes so, um Peter Jackson said, okay, so we spent two movies building up this ring. And then there's this dude that's like, even if it was lying on the ground, I wouldn't pick it up. And he's like, it kind of undercuts the power of the ring. So they, they added in that. And, you know, it's like, I get it, you know, as far as like, as making the adaptation, adapting it to the medium that you're, that you're doing that it makes sense. I I can buy that. I think another, uh, change that make because that a lot of fans didn't like but I, I think it was fantastic and it's because peter jackson understood that there's a novel the written word on a page mm-hmm. is a completely different thing than the visual medium of film and it's the scene in rivendell where they're having the council about the ring you know in the books frodo still has the ring but in the movie it's sitting on that little table in the middle of everything and that's because you get this fantastic shot all it takes is tolkien writing a single sentence and that works in a book but in the movie when frodo looks at the ring and he sees the reflection of everyone in that council arguing Mm -hmm. over what to do with the ring and who should have it and who should take care of the other dwarves want it the the elves want it and all that stuff 
and it's a fantastic visual and it gives you that information that Tolkien could simply write about, but that you need fed to you right. in a film. And, and that's that's where, like, you know, people talk about, you know, with books better and movies better and stuff like that. But it's like you, oh. there, there, there's a level where you have to understand that, like, what adaptation means and what mm-hmm. different media mean. Because, like, if you want to do, a, like, a faithful adaptation of, like, you know, Catcher in the Rye or something, it would be you would have a voiceover from the opening shot till the end of, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause that would be, that right. would be accurate. That would be, and, and it would make a really annoying. So I don't mind saying, I, so Lord of the Rings, I consider the, the media, the movies, all three to be the movie, the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's three, but the Lord of the Rings movie is my favorite movie. And the Lord of the Rings book is my favorite book, and I like them independent of each other, even though they're the same source material. If that makes any sure. sense, and and that you know, and it's and they they hold a special place for me in my mind because of that. Um, and I think a lot of, of fanboys like us feel very strongly, you know, about one or the other. But I'm a fan, way, man, sir. Not, <laughs> not, but they, but I think I I don't know a whole bunch of I don't know very many people who love the book and hate the movie like they do with other properties, like they do with the Lord of the Rings. I think, have you never people, been on the internet? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, they're out there for sure. But I mean, I don't think it's as visceral as like, yeah, whatever. Uh, pick your, pick your fan, you know, fan favorite, whatever. But the Lord of the Rings doesn't have that, that hatred of it as a film that a lot of people do for other properties out there. Like if you uh, hate Lord of the Rings as a film, Write to us at brickhead at gmail. So we could tell you to stop listening to our daggum show. <laughs> you are no longer welcome here. <laughs> yeah. There are, and it's you're you're right, it's a very, very small group, but there are those people who are the the purists. Yeah. Who just any change the major like I said, you know, one of the first ones I ran across was the excising of Tom Bombadil, which I have no problem with whatsoever. Yeah, I really don't, yeah, frankly. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it, but I'm also like not a not a, a Bombadilian. <laughs> 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 like I, he, he in the book he he has always just kind of got on my nerves because he hit with his "Hey Mary doll." It's like yeah. shut up. <laughs> Tell your tree to quit eating me. <laughs> yeah, really. The only thing that I think was excised from the Tom Bombadil bit that's kind of important is setting up the concept of the ends. Yeah. But even then, it's not that well, important. And, still... and and getting the the weapons out of the barrow because yeah. that that's ultimately yeah. what was able to defeat. Um, the witch king of Angmar. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyone who like listened to this podcast, like, these guys are kind of funny and cool. All those illusions have been shattered, <laughs> and the and the veneer is gone. We in any of those people who thought that like while listening to us, uh, please contact your psychiatric professional. <laughs> right. <laughs> we want to say here at the Brick Pit that your mental health is important. 
<laughs> it's like there's like a mental health hospital like in uh in one flew over the cuckoo's nest or uh 12 monkeys where they're like playing our podcast in the corner and <laughs> it's just they're gonna have to turn this chewing, episode off it's agitating the patients chewing his nails <laughs> the uh in that same vein jason i think you know you said purist but i think that's that almost in a way defines the difference between uh, a geek and a fanatic no I, I i would not say purist so i would say literalist yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because because I would consider myself a purist. A purist. Yeah, and okay. uh, but I'm not a literalist because the yeah. the adaptation is adequate for the medium. The what, the I, I could get into <laughs> religious connotations, but we don't talk about serious <laughs> things. So <laughs> we. Could. But uh, like I said, the the ring is is one of those things. Like I said, that's ever present. When you get to the end, I. I love the end of the Lord of the Rings for the simple fact that Frodo fails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He cannot at the end throw the ring into the lava of. of, Right. It it, it takes Gollum and his greed and his desire to possess the ring again to to complete the task. And, And it's in the end, it's that evil will destroy itself. Well, and, and what I find fascinating about that is the joke is, would be that that uh, Frodo is the Rocky of the Lord of the Rings franchise because he loses in the end. But um, they, um, <laughs> you know, someone wise once told me that uh, the Berlin Wall fell <laughs> because of the Rocky movies. I think you, you know? I think you got your words backwards. Someone drunk once told you. So anyway, but there's like the one of the I find one of the fascinating nerd fights out there is the um, Game of Thrones versus Lord of the Rings people. And they're, you know, because like the 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 straw man against Lord of the Rings is like, oh, it's real saccharine and this and that. And it's like, is it because (laughs) because the, the good guy, the good guy got through all that crap and still failed and still was literally corrupted the good guy didn't win um <laughs> like it's like i don't think you're reading the text and not for There's nothing some... the way he the way you know not for nothing he basically ends up dead <laughs> yeah like his reward is like yeah, oh, yeah. his gonna... his reward is ptsd right loneliness and then I went to the gray haven then he, you know? then he <laughs> dies right which you know hey i'm going to the gray havens what's that basically dead (laughs) (laughs) never to be seen again (laughs) it is it's literally a way station on the way to heaven yeah and and by the way all you my good friends y'all ain't allowed to go (laughs) (laughs) you suckers Uh, thanks for carrying me up that hill sam wise but uh well sam got here well sam 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 got to go because he's later but mary pippin yeah well and then it's like the sadness like arwen like when she eventually dies, she doesn't get to go see her family, all the elves that she grew up for thousands of years. Who knows if she gets to go to to you know humankind's heaven or not? There's a lot of like dark stuff. Like yeah. the Lord of the Rings is like always to me it had a kind of oppressive feel to it. It's a feel of like the world crumbling, almost post-apocalyptic. I mean, they're constantly in the ruins of greater empires and stuff. So I don't get the, and I know we're going way off target here, but um, I just don't get the, oh, it's real saccharine and sweet. It's like, nah, 
just where's for, just the because, incest? Right, just because there's no yeah. incest and like like castration. It's it's, it's a little more it's a little more you know, subtle. I the characters say, I to, go through to hell in that in the, that story. I really like Game of Thrones. I think it's a fantastic book series, and I think it's a great show. But I will say, The War of the Rings is superior because it achieves as much emotional catharsis and importance without all the sensationalism that's in Game of Thrones. I, I and feel it like takes, it, it and takes Tolkien the harder, actually finished it. Yeah, right. that too. <laughs> I, I feel like Game of Thrones is the National Enquirer to yeah. the um, the New York Times Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. That's that, and I'm I'm not a fan of of Game of Thrones. There, I said it. It's out there. <laughs> How about them apples? If you have <laughs> apples that you would like to throw, right. so, FM. You- <laughs> All right. Does anyone else have uh, any more MacGuffins they'd wish to share with us? I do. Well, you know I do. Oh yeah, I see it. <laughs> so and, and and I love this movie so the, much. <laughs> the only the only reason I'm bringing this into the MacGuffin. Uh, discussion is because it's like I saw a crack that I could squeeze this film through to bring it. <laughs> this, <laughs> this fantastically absurd film I that would definitely not get made today. No, it's not in that with and the, it, the material within it. And, and you know, we had our episode on bad films, and this is one of those films that, like, it's like you're so blinded by your love by it. Like, I honestly can't. I can't say if it's a bad film or not. I cannot be objective about it. No, no, I, just, it so. I think it's for the same reason we saw it so much because it was on heavy rotation on HBO. Yes. And so that film is the, the John Ritter classic real men. Um, I don't even know if it's available on any streaming services, but it is, it's an absurdist uh, take on, I guess the spy genre. Uh, it's, the premise is John Ritter's this average dude, but there's a guy that's like a super spy that looks exactly like him that gets killed. And so James is it James Belushi. Yeah. Yes. It's is, the, um, the lesser yeah. Belushi. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> Belushi. The lesser uh, is like his partner. And the, the plot is there's this alien race <laughs> that have either the big gun to give um, humanity, which the Americans and the Soviets want. It's a gun that will blow up the earth (laughs) or the good package. And the good package is like, was able to reverse like this oncoming, like uh, ecological disaster. And in return, all they want is a glass of water. But the stipulation is that the dead, agent is the one that has to make the handoff. So they go and get John Ritter, who looks just like him, to pretend to be him to hand the glass of water off to the alien. And it is that amazing of a film. <laughs> that is the least absurd aspect of the film. <laughs> yes. But the MacGuffin being a glass of water and he's like, he's like, well, they don't want a cracker or something. <laughs> He's like, no, it's just a glass of water. It is, it's, it's, it's funny from beginning to end. And it's like, like I said, it takes an absurd premise and has fun with it. Like 
uh, when, when I saw Men in Black, I was like, man, they're just totally ripping off real men. <laughs> <laughs> there there's a- is there's this fantastic joke that Josh and I both love without any context to it. No one else gets it. But they're in an alley. I think it's when they're actually like picking up the glass that they need. Yes. And John Ritter a presidential turns, seal on yeah. it. John Ritter turns around and there's this group of clowns. They're actually assassins coming there to kill them. But they're walking down the alley and John Ritter looks and goes, who are these clowns? <laughs> it's such a literal joke. Uh. <laughs> On that, on that alone, I will now go watch this yes. movie. That, <laughs> there's CIA, and then there's a there's this big gunfight against the Soviets, and then they stop, they stop shooting, and they're like pinned down. and uh, And James Belushi goes, looks as watch and says, "Oh, it's lunch." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "He's like, oh yeah, the, the Soviets aren't as dedicated as we are. They always take lunch, and they just like walk away from the firefight." <laughs> yes, folks, it's that amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's one of those movies that that I know I watched as a kid a lot because HBO showed it like mm-hmm. daily, and still no one knows about it. <laughs> Jason, Jason's the only other person out in the wild that I've ever met that has seen it. I, I thought so. I will check it out. Even like what I love is that like it's the, the thing the the MacGuffins that their reward for delivering is the big gun or the good package it's like it's like these just like universally generic (laughs) like somebody wrote it in the script as a placeholder and they forgot to go back to change it and it's it's like that that to me just like is really really funny (laughs) that when so when because it, it they play it straight you know right they play it absolutely straight that they they talk about the good package (laughs) If you don't think that's funny, <laughs> send Josh an email. That's right. <laughs> All right, Adam, do you do you have another? MacGuffin? I have I have uh, another serious one uh, in the same vein as sort of the One Ring, and that is uh, Saving Private Ryan. And of course, the MacGuffin is Private Ryan trying to find him. It is, you know, why? So Saving Private Ryan. If you just made a war film, and it was, and it was almost documentary-esque and you just stopped that based on the beginning part of that movie would still be one of the best movies ever made but did you say a wharf film a wharf yes that's what i said <laughs> so I, i'm just gonna go ahead and throw this out there we're cutting that out <laughs> <laughs> that's the bumper in man <laughs> uh, there is the theory of the mobius <laughs> Uh, I am not a merry man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you made a war film of Saving Private Ryan, it'd be like a fistful of data. Michael Dorn as as Private Ryan. That would, yeah. So you know the 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 war part of that movie, the battle part of it, as as sort of its documentary esque style. Mm-hmm. Excellent, right? Stand on its own. Wouldn't need the MacGuffin at all. It could just bounce around like that, and it would still be an amazing film. But what, like, once again, makes uh, an exceptional film is the is the MacGuffin of having to find Private Ryan, and the and the way this unit has to cope with this what is seeming to them to be an absurd assignment to go rescue this guy, 
the the story that gets written and told around that is is incredibly impactful incredibly important and it becomes a MacGuffin. You, you at least initially you feel their kind of seething mm-hmm. uh, uh i don't want to say anger about it but they just they they're you know remember the there's the part in the movie where uh tom hanks what you know some I can't, I can't remember the character's names but the the guy's complaining about the mission he says, you you know, that's the way complaining works. Complaining goes up, doesn't go down. You complain <laughs> to me, I complain to the next guy, but it never rolls downhill. Like, that is just fantastic storytelling because it's a MacGuffin that you don't want to get. You don't want mm-hmm. to to find because you don't want to be on this de- this mission in the first place. Well, and, and it's largely like the, the MacGuffin is, is an allegory for... The, the sacrifice to the future and to the home front that these, that these people made because, you know, they didn't make it out. And, you know, Matt Damon did. Right. Matt Damon was actually in world war two. <laughs> <laughs> did you with know Michael, that when, before, with they, before they filmed that, they took all the actors to world war two. <laughs> so they would be I, mad at Matt Damon. I, I know the story you're thinking of, and I was, I was curious if you were going to tell tell the real story. I mean, it is interesting for people who don't know. I feel like that story has been told so many times that they, then they all the actors except for Matt Damon went to boot camp and like got right. kicked around for a couple of weeks, and so they had unit cohesion. Within like you know, here was Mr. Pretty Boy, Hollywood star, right? You know, and he got real food, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were filming those scenes, they made them eat crap and they gave him like real I, food. And I feel like that was kind of like, I, I don't know, like, did is it that really, or is it true? Right. Like, did, like, yeah. did that really happen? Or is it, it's also like, you know, like some kind of sick sociological, like if you did that in a, in a, in a university setting, you would be, you know, chastised. You're like, you know, you, you can't do that. It's like the, the, the Stanford prison experiment right. all over again. Like, you can't do that to people. Well, I'm a director. I'm not a researcher. <laughs> treat, treat these guys like garbage so they act better. But why don't they just act? I mean, it's Tom, it's Tom Hanks. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was in the money pit. <laughs> well, I think it's because originally they didn't have Matt Damon. It was Ben Affleck. So the plans were already in place. <laughs> But, you know, it's like they, they could have just hated on Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, even if it even if it either in either case, I, I as a non-professional actor very easily could could present contempt toward Matt Damon. <laughs> I don't it, I don't feel like I need a lot of motivation as an actor to get to that spot. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> Uh, hey, I'll, I'll go on the record again. I'll, <laughs> I didn't like Goodwill Hunting. There, how do you yeah, like that, them? How do you like them apples? <laughs> I, I'll be with you on that one. That's that's very much a uh, yeah overly hyped film. I, and I'll go one further. Dead Poet Society is terrible too. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I consider them like they're like they're in the same uh, Williams verse. Fuck it. <laughs> Here's the deal with those movies. Uh, I, they're, they're, gonna, they're they're i'm 14 and this is deep yeah yes. no, they, they are they are films for people who want to pretend to know about film to be able to say they like a certain kind of film they they it, for 
for for the kind of people who watch who have slogged through thousands of movies to determine what is good and what is bad like us <laughs> we know the difference but for people who casually want to consider themselves some kind of like high-minded art and film critic oh yes no dead poet society is clearly a higher level no it's not I, you're an idiot <laughs> i've watched kurosawa I know what's best. <laughs> I know what is a real. <laughs> I, I can went use to the word film creatively. <laughs> I went to film school in Mississippi. I know what a good film is. <laughs> it, it, no, it's like uh, when no, I just I personally saw. don't like this movie. I didn't like Patch yeah. Adams either. I, yeah. I was just throwing them all out there. If Robin Williams <laughs> is in the movie, he doesn't like it. You know, Except I for Mrs. Say, Doubtfire, which actually, is favorite. Now, now that you think about it, there's probably more Robin Williams movie. I hated Popeye. Hated Popeye. <laughs> uh, Awakenings, I enjoyed. I hated Hook. <laughs> you know, now that you say that, I'm starting yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> I huh. mean, uh-huh. Robin Williams for all I, I, I hear about him. So he was a great guy. He was a gamer. Good dad. But, um, didn't like I like Moscow on the Hudson, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a deep cut. I like Mork and Mindy. <laughs> I even like the season with Jonathan Winters. <laughs> there's, there's, there's your olive branch to our uh, to our Robin Williams people. I'll give you, you just smack them across the face. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, the hate mail is going to come in. How dare you? <laughs> Dead Poet Society was so great, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy position to take that it is a good movie uh, because the kind of people who pretend to think it is a good movie will stand by that. But well, it's, it's one of those things like uh, someone said after Star Trek Into da- Darkness is the fact that they swapped Kirk and Spock with, you know, the death scene that was kind of clever i know that's clever for people who don't know what clever is (laughs) that's like step one (laughs) (laughs) let's invert this okay then no we're done (laughs) break for lunch (laughs) hey i got a 10-year contract now So, the queer, the queer are, MacGuffin of this episode is the MacGuffin talk. <laughs> we're still looking. We're, we're finding it. It's, it's here it's, somewhere. It's driving us to conclusion. <laughs> is uh, there a film where there's not a MacGuffin? Well, I'm sure that I, you know, that's a great question, but there has to be, right? I mean, well, I mean I don't it's. Know. A MacGuffin, like you said, it's not just an object. It can be something, you know, it could be like the, the death of a family member or, or you know, the big chill. Yeah. The, the MacGuffin would be the death of the suicide of the friend that brings them all back. I see it. I see it. <laughs> I know that there are certain words that I can say. <laughs> that will prompt. <laughs> So Pavlovian response from Josh. Adam, I don't know if you knew that I've written some movie scripts. And uh, I did not. Yes. They're so awesome that the mayor of Hollywood said we cannot let these get out because all <laughs> other film would be diminished by the brightness. You know, like they're, they're like the they're like the Cimarils. So, so I like a Lindell have to stay in the sky away from humankind because it 
My scripts are too beautiful. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, one of my favorite jokes and one of Jason's favorite jokes, some of those yeah. scripts is um, it's it takes place at a, a science fiction conven- convention and um, there's a there's a William Hurt action figure from uh, Altered States. And the guy says, hey, look, have you ever seen William Hurt devolve in the film? He devolves into a lower light. And the answer is, yes, I've seen the big chill. <laughs> <laughs> because surprisingly, I hate the big chill. <laughs> that is that is like that is like boomer catnip. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have an episode one day when Josh talks about the things he likes, and it's gonna be two minutes long. <laughs> and it, most of it's gonna be, huh? <laughs> Let's see. Can we talk about stuff that used to be good? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I think we pretty much uh, beat this dead horse. Uh, Josh, you want to give everybody our contact information? Yep. You can find us on Twitter at Brick Pit. Bricked Pit at Gmail. We're on Facebook, anchor.fn. You can leave us voicemail messages. Pretty much, uh, you can find the podcast on any place you can find podcasts Podbean, Spotify, uh, Beanify, Podcast, <laughs> Red Podcast, Red Podcast, come over. <laughs> Thousands of uh, them. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're just going to cut that there. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to, to get in contact with us, people. We love hearing from you when you actually do th- those very few times. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's it. We hope to hear back from you guys, and we hope you keep listening. And this is the part where we free frame. Closing each